Remain standing. Turn with me to the book of Genesis, chapter 45. And we're going to dive into the text today, starting with verse number one. So just give you, bring you up to speed on what's happened. Joseph, the favored son. His brothers were jealous of him. They strip that from him. They throw him in a pit. They sell him off into slavery. He goes off to a foreign land, the land of Egypt. He becomes a slave there. But God is with him. He's successful. He rises to the top. But then he is accused of something he did not do, convicted, thrown in prison. But even there, God is with him, and he rises to the top again. Eventually, he interprets some dreams. Eventually, he himself is brought into the palace of Pharaoh. He interprets his dreams. He goes overnight from being a prisoner to the prince of all Egypt. There, one day, the vision that he'd had years ago, the dream he'd been given by God, comes true. In the middle of a famine, his brothers show up to beg for food, and they bow before him. He begins to test them. And then the story goes from chapter 42, 43, 44, as he's testing them. And what I have learned also about the testings and the trials of life are God's way of developing us into his son's image. You see, temptation is the work of the devil that's out to seek to destroy you. But when God tests us, it's to make us more like him. It's to build our character. And so when you begin to have those times of testing come your way, Stop and be thankful and say, God, you're just stretching me right now. You're developing my spiritual muscle and character so that I can be more like your son, Jesus. And then eventually, Judah breaks down and says, I'm willing to stand in place of my brothers and I will even go to prison and die for them. And at that moment is when Joseph says it's time to reveal his identity because he immediately identified his brothers, but his brothers could not recognize him. But who would have even thought that he'd be in such a position? Verse number one, Joseph could stand it no longer. There were many people in the room and he said to his attendants, out, all of you. So he was alone with his brothers when he told them who he was. Then he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him and word of it. Quickly carried to Pharaoh's palace. I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. In my, is my father still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. Please come closer, he said to them. So they came closer and he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. The famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace, and the governor of all Egypt. Oh, let's pray and ask God to help us today. Father God, May we have the mind of you. 
May you change our mindset today. May we leave with a different way of thinking. May we have the mind of Christ. I pray this in your name, be it done. And everybody said a big amen. You may be seated. I think everybody inside would think it would be wonderful to have a Joseph story. Um, The Joseph story that relates to the rags to riches. From the bottom of the totem pole to the top and the prince of all Egypt. From being a prisoner one day to the next day being an advisor to Pharaoh in his palace. But I think that none of us want the process because the process is hard. The process is difficult. The process is not enticing. But there's always a process. And Joseph went through this process, and it's key to note that his mindset was crucial to the outcome. And anytime you go through difficulties and troubles and trials and temptation, whatever it may be you're facing, mindset is everything. The lens with which you look at it, the perspective with which you take is absolutely crucial. For Joseph's story, it was one of family rejection and abuse. It was one of human trafficking, of sexual temptation, of being wrongly accused and wrongly convicted. It was one of judicial corruption. It was one of relational betrayal and famine that the world had never seen but it's also one of supernatural intervention. And there's three different mindsets that I want to look into right here in regards to this story. One is the mindset of the father, another is the mindset of the brothers, and the third one is the mindset of Joseph. Henceforth, the title of my message, Mindset. And two of them are destructive and one of them was productive. And the two that were destructive was, number one, Jacob, the father of all of these. And his mindset was the scarcity mindset. And here's the thing to warn, that when you have a scarcity mindset, you think you're trying to protect something, but actually you're choking the life out of something. How do I know he had a scarcity mindset? In chapter 20, 42, in verse number four, it says this. It says, but Jacob wouldn't let Joseph's younger brother, Benjamin, go with them for fear some harm might come to him. For fear, fear will drive you to try to cling to stuff that you cannot hang on to. It will choke out your relationships. All along, you think you're doing those relationships a favor, but it's not. It's destroying those relationships. Later on, Jacob would say this. He would say, everything is against me. 
Everything is against me. And another time he would say to his family, he said, why are you so cruel to me? Because the scarcity mindset is so fearful of losing what they have. And when that's the case, you can't enjoy what you do have. You can't enjoy, come on, the job that you have because you're afraid that you're going to lose that job because that's what happened to you 15 years ago. And so therefore, there's distrust. So you cling to what you have in fear of losing what you have. You can't enjoy the marriage because you're afraid of losing it. You can't enjoy the process because you're fearful of losing what you have. And then there is the brothers. And the brothers have a different kind of mindset. They have a suspicious mindset. They're suspicious of everything. How do I know that? In verse chapter 43, it says here in multiple other in a famine in a foreign land, and the guy who is the second most powerful in the world says, hey, come eat with me. Come have dinner with me. And they are suspicious. Here's, here's, it continues on. It says, it's because of the money someone put in our sacks the last time we were here, they said. He plans to pretend that we stole it. He will seize us, make us slaves, and take our donkeys. <laughs> you know anybody like that? It's always suspicious. Somebody does something good. Oh, I mean, things are going good. Well, it's just going to get bad. Somebody's going to get sick. Somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to lose their job. I'm going to be the next. We're layoffs. I'm the next one. And it's just always the suspicion. And people that are always suspicious are always tormented with anxiety, with worry, with all what could be that will never happen. Do you realize that 95% of the things that you think never come to pass? We're worried about stuff that's never going to happen. Worried about things that are never going to take place. You got the scarcity mindset, the suspicious mindset. Those who are suspicious in their mindset, they don't trust others because they're still hanging on to past hurts from what others did to them. People who are suspicious, they know themselves. And they can't trust others because they know how they would act in that situation. So I need some help here with a, some, some illustration props. Thank you, Michael. Excellent job, my friend. Excellent. And what happens is people that are of the scarcity mindset, they hang on to stuff and they walk around with it and say, I got it. It's trash from years ago, but they got it. It's junk from a long time ago that they're still hanging, but they got it. And they're squeezing tightly because they don't want to lose what they presently have. And if they can hang tighter, they can get it. The problem is then comes suspicion on and they hang on to it too. And then they walk around like they got control of life. And life has control of them. 
And, and they're walking around squeezing on to their suspicion, squeezing on to their scarcity. And then they just try to pick up more. And if I can just pick up more. And then they walk around thinking nobody's going to notice. But everybody's noticing their anger. Everybody's noticing their negativity. Everybody's noticing how they keep people at arm's length because they can't get close to them because they're hanging on to a bunch of junk. And, and then they go around living life like this and thinking that they've got life and it really, they don't have life. They've got a bunch of trash that they're carrying around and it's destroying them. And what they have to do is drop it and say, I'm not hanging on to that. And Joseph brings a different mindset to the story. And his mindset is a shriving mindset. Shriving. Just like in that sounds. Shriving mindset. Some of you are like, I have never heard of that word. Well, good. I'm going to introduce you to a new word today. And some of you acting like you know what that word is. You have no idea what that word is. Because I didn't know what that word was. All I know is I had an S and I had an S and I needed another S for forgiveness, but forgiveness wasn't going to work. It just didn't even seem to fit with scarcity and then suspicion and then forgiveness. No, I needed an S there. And so I didn't know any S's that, that the definition meant, you know, to forgive or to reconcile or to restore a relationship. So I began to look it up and I went to good old faithful Google and began to try to figure out a word for that. And I found an archaic word for you to know what the word archaic means. It means old. I mean, like long time ago it was used. It's no longer used now. And I found the word shrive and shrive means this to administer the sacrament of reconciliation to, to free from guilt. You know what Joseph had? Joseph was not going to hang on to scarcity because it's easily passed down generational to generation, isn't it? Come on, it was passed down to the brothers. They hung on to it and they got scarcity and then they got suspicion and they take on their own stuff. But Joseph said, uh-uh, I'm not going to carry that around like my brother. You, you can sell me into slavery. You can throw me into pit. You can lie about me and wrongly accuse me and throw me into prison. But I'm not going to hang on to scarcity mindset. I'm not going to hang on to a suspicious mindset. I'm going to hold on to a thriving mindset that believes that my God can take care of everything according to his riches and glory. That my God is more than able. You see, culture teaches us some things that we have held onto when it comes to forgiveness. Even ourselves we struggle with is one is that there's limits to forgiveness. Is that you can do wrong to me and I'll forgive you because that's my Christian. That's what I'm supposed to do. That's what God did for me. But if you do it so many times, you're off. One, two, three strikes, you're out. Or if you're going to be really spiritual, then you'll be like Peter. And Peter was like, what? He's like, Lord Jesus, uh, one time, you know, how many times do we forgive our brothers? How about seven times? And he was being very, very spiritual for the day. And Jesus looked at him and said, no, let me tell you something, Peter. How about seven times 70? And even don't put that to multiplication and figure out it's 490. No, he was saying, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. The idea of this is you continue to forgive again and again and again and again, and it's endless. For some of us, it's the degree of the forgiveness. If they really hurt us really bad, that's even a bigger strike. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. And Joseph, <laughs> the top and shadow of Jesus to come is forgiving again and again and again. Also, culture teaches us that forgiveness is for the benefit 
of the one who offended. And while it is for the benefit of them, no, it's, it's really for your benefit. When you forgive, it's really for you. It's really saying, you know what? I'm not going to hang on to this stuff and I'm not going to carry it around and let it be tethered to me. I'm going to cut away from it and walk free. I'm going to walk free from this and not carry it the rest of my life. It's for your benefit. I think also sometimes we think that forgiveness, that if we really were to forgive somebody, we would stop feeling the pain. You think Joseph really stopped feeling the pain? No, he felt the pain. He felt the pain, but he learned how to deal with the pain. He learned how to deal with these emotions. You see, the problem is it's learning how to, there's nothing wrong with any of the emotions you have until you operate them outside of God's plans for what he has for you. Either you let the flesh run your emotions or you let the spirit of God control your emotions. It's up to you. And when you walk in God's plan, you know what? When the pain comes your way, you're going to feel the pain. Keep walking in forgiveness and you keep doing the right things and through the process, God will take you out the other side. Uh, is anybody listening? It might happen overnight. We think of God just, I forgive overnight. I had an 11 year issue with somebody in my mind. They didn't even know about it, but I had it in my mind in 11 years, wake up in the middle of the night thinking about them, standing over a putt and thinking about them, making a decision just randomly. It comes to my mind. I'm like, what is going on here? I prayed about it, gave it to God again and again and again. And I look back now and I knew and I know that I did the right thing throughout the process. But then I woke up one day and it was like it was gone. And today it's not an issue anymore. Why? Because I continue to obey God. It was part of the testing of my faith and God building character. And God is using the pain that others brought in your life to develop you into the image of Jesus Christ. In your pregnant moments of pain, you can either give birth to death or give birth to life. And Joseph told the, he chose to father life instead of death. And he gives birth to two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh's meaning is this. God made me fruitful. Excuse me. God made me forget all of my troubles and everyone in my family's father's family. God made me forget all of my troubles. Now stop and think about for that. Did, did he really forget? Did, did, take that for what it says, and did he forget? No. He even reminds his brothers later on that what you did, he remembers. When he saw his brothers, what did he do? The Bible says that he immediately identified them even though they didn't remember him. So it wasn't that he forgot the troubles and forgot the family. He forgave the troubles and forgave the family. That's the key. That's the key. Oh, in our, in our family, we got some big news right now. You know that here in about 14 days or less that we're probably going to be having us, or we're going to be having, it just depends on what time, what day it's going to be, but we're going to be having us a new grandbaby. Shannon and I are pumped about it. And this one's our first girl. Got a bunch of boys, now we're ready for the girl. We're excited. But I got more news for you that you haven't heard yet. This is the first time to make it public is that we are also having a second grandbaby in 2022. Some of you are trying to figure out how in the world and who is that? 
Phaedra and Mitchell, who live in Dallas, are getting, or getting, they are pregnant and they are having a baby. I say, why do we say they? She is pregnant and she is having a baby. But anyone who has a baby understands. My wife went through this three times. In that moment, when you're going through the, the morning sickness, you're not thinking about, oh, I can't wait to do this again. When you are so pregnant that you can't sleep and turn over at night, and you're just like, oh, I want to do this again. No, no, you're thinking, let me just survive this one. When you're laying on that table or wherever you are on that hospital bed or you're in your house, whatever, and you're delivering that child, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, let's just do this again. No, you're thinking, I want to survive this moment. And then what happens? Over the days and over the weeks and over the months behind you of that childbirth and you enjoy the reward of having that child, then you begin to think about that next child. And let me just tell you, it happens that way with the issue of forgiveness. When you walk in pain of what people have done with you, you're not sitting there thinking, oh, I want to do this again. Bring it on. Bring it on. I want to go through more pain and suffering for what people cause in me. But when you walk through it, and you give birth to forgiveness, and you see what God can do, then eventually you begin to look back and say, I can handle it again because my God is good, and he brought fruit out of something that was so difficult and hard. Which brings me to the second son, and that is Ephraim. And Ephraim, his name means that God has made me fruitful. Matter of fact, it literally means twice fruitful. Twice fruitful. God made me fruitful. In my suffering, in my pain, in my difficulty. See, the reality is you will never be fruitful until you forgive your past. And God knows for you to refuse to forgive your past is to push the self-destruct button in your life. Disunity and unforgiveness and bitterness are the most lethal things to pass on to the next generation. And if Joseph would have hung on to that, Ephraim and Manasseh would have been named bitterness and hateful. But no, he passed on a shriving mindset of forgiveness and reconciliation. Therefore, he was able to pass along forgiveness and fruitfulness because God was on his side and God was in him. In verse number two, it says that he broke down and wept. He wept so loudly the Egyptians could hear him. He wept so loudly. You see, inside of him was pimped up the emotional stuff that he had dealt with all of the years. Fortunately, he'd handled that because in every one of us, there is emotional pain that's inside of us from the years of stuff being done. But how you're processing it is gonna depend on how what comes out. Because what's gonna eventually come out is one of two things, either bitterness which happens again and again. Because when you haven't processed those emotions according to God's way through forgiveness, then bitterness comes out and you will lash out. You will return evil for evil. You will try to make right, uh, make right those things that were done wrong in your life. And you will lord over somebody else when you have the opportunity to do it. Or if you're like Joseph, who has a shriving mindset, in that moment when you have all the opportunity to return evil for the evil, a broken spirit comes out and he breaks and cries under the power of the Holy Spirit. He cries out because he now is being able to see the reality of what God has done and how God had brought him through that process. 
and how God was using him to rescue his family, even those that hurt him and those that brought pain in his life. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. He was a foreshadow of who was to come. And at the very end of the story, the very end of the story, Jacob dies. This is several years after he has now forgiven them in chapter 45. And in chapter 50, Jacob dies. And then the brothers come to Jacob, to Joseph, and say, hey, daddy said, they tell him lies, they're saying lies, Dad said that you ought to forgive us for what we did and you ought to help. Jacob didn't say that. They were still suspicious. They were still hanging on to stuff. They had been for years been taken care of by Joseph and they still couldn't handle all the goodness because they were hanging on to scarcity and hanging on to suspicion. Here's what... Joseph says in return to them. But Joseph replied, don't be afraid of me. And my God that I can punish, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Don't be afraid. I will continue to take care of you and your children. So he reassured them by speaking kindly to them. Do you see what he's doing here? He's repeating what he said years before in the text we read earlier. But they were so suspicious, still clinging to their stuff. They did not adopt the shriving mindset that Joseph had. See, Joseph's mindset represents the zenith of Christian maturity. Sometimes we take Christian maturity and it's all about, can I check those boxes and do those things? And that's what I am. You know what it really boils down to? Can I love my neighbor as myself. Can I love my fellow man? And Joseph did. That's the zenith. Not can I interpret the book of Daniel properly and dive into revelations and dissect it and write my book about it. No, no, no. Can you get along with your fellow man? Can you live under the same house with peace and joy and happiness? Can you go to work and love people that are different from you and treat you wrongly? And can you forgive those who offend you? This past week, worked out with some of the staff at the gym and we did one of those CrossFit top workouts. And one of the things that we were doing is you did burpees. I'm talking mini burpees. And you do them a time, you do a bunch of them, bunch of them, take a few second rest and then do a bunch more. I'm telling you what, burpees are from the pit of hell. I don't care who you are, they, they, they're just not fun. And if you know what a burpee is, it means you're standing here like this, and then you go as fast as you can down to the ground with your stomach and your chest on the ground, your arms on the ground, then you jump back up, you come off the ground with your hands off of, over your head with your feet coming off the ground, and then you repeat that again and again as fast as you possibly can go. We ought to test that right now, shouldn't we? And we did that till we were worn slick. And guess, then guess what the instructor did? We added weight to that. Then I took on a 25-pound dumbbell. Different people took on different amounts. I took on a 25-pound dumbbell and a 25-pound of 50 pounds. Now I'm doing burpees with that. Fast as I can. Going down the ground, on my stomach, back up, over, jump off the ground, do it again and again and again and again. 
That's from the deeper part of hell. But here's what I'm saying. Why, why am I telling the story? I don't know. I just, it's a good story to tell. No, no, no. Life is like burpees. It stinks. And you got stuff that's going to happen in all of your lives. Life's hard enough with the burpees you do. But if you add unforgiveness to it and you're carrying around more, you're just making it that much harder. You're making it that much more difficult. And Joseph has a mindset here, and I'm going to give this to you in a matter of about two minutes. He gives three things here that is so important in the mindset to have. Is one, we got to leave the righting of wrongs to God. Is anyone listening? How do we do this? By avoiding God's position over people. And literally, he was in position over people. But he, he refused to put himself in that position. He allowed God to do the work. Does that mean there's no place for justice? Oh, no, no, there's a place for justice. But don't you take that into your hands. Because do you realize that you are incredibly, incredibly unqualified to play God? It's above your pay grade. Another mindset is to see God's hand in man's evil. When you get there, spiritual maturity. How? How do you do this? By taking God's perspective of people. You got to look through his lens when he sees people. That's why he would say on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't even know what they are doing. And I found that in light of eternity, we do not realize what we're doing when we bring hurt and pain to somebody else. You see, life is hard. God is good. Two phrases we use often. Which one is right? Both and. Both and is right. And then finally, third mindset is to repay evil, not only with forgiveness, but also with kindness. How do we do this? By reflecting God's passion for people. The biggest takeaway from the loss of Joseph that I get if I were to say in one sentence, his story is that mercy will mess people up. When somebody does you wrong and you return around with mercy, <laughs> it, will, it will knock them for a loop. And throughout the scriptures, it speaks to that. Pray for those who wrongly accuse you. For those that treat you badly, love them. Be kind. Somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Somebody takes the coat. And am I saying there's never a place to defend yourself? Or do, no, no, I'm not saying that. But I'm saying most of the times we don't, we don't act out of the true heart of Christ to reconcile and to forgive. And that's what we're called to do. Because Jesus messed people up. We're going to receive communion right now. If you would reach for your communion at each of our locations. And then if you would, stand with me, please.
This represents the body of Christ. This, the blood of Jesus. Mercy personified. Mercy. When it comes to the Old Testament, do you realize that the Old Testament tabernacle, which would become the temple where Solomon would offer sacrifices in, that tabernacle, that temple of the Old Testament was the place where forgiveness happened. It was the place where you came and you brought your sins and the sins others committed against you and you gave them to the Lord. When Jesus came to earth, he was the tabernacle of heaven among men. His body was perfection. Everything that was in the Old Testament was all created by man's hands that God blessed. When Jesus showed up, he was God in human flesh, the tabernacle of men walking among us. And what did he do? Forgave. Forgave. The very act of him down on the cross, resurrecting. The resurrection was the validation of everything that was said about him. Anybody who struggles with anything, I say, go to the resurrection. You either believe that or don't. If you believe that, you can embrace the whole thing. If you don't believe that, cast it all out. But the resurrection's everything. Everything. And then Jesus says, I'll go back, but I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. And now we tabernacle the Spirit of God. Now we have the Spirit of God in us. Now we're the temple of God. And you look in Corinthians, it says that our bodies are the temple of the what? And what do we do? We forgive. We have received forgiveness and we give forgiveness. We're ministers of reconciliation, the scripture says. And so for you that are listening right now, this is a moment that we don't take lightly. It's something we take seriously. If you need forgiveness of your sins and the Holy Spirit's knocking on your door, open your heart's door and receive Christ as Lord and Savior now. And then for all of us, may we not forget what we should be doing, walking with a shriving mindset, the mindset of Christ, that this mind be in you, which is in Christ Jesus. And let's give forgiveness. In Jesus' name, would you now take of the bread? Would you now take of the cup? Holy Spirit, Have your way and do your thing as you're transforming lives again and again. I celebrate you in Jesus' name. Amen.